Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is Three Moves Ahead founder and PR flack, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Tonight, we are also joined by our old friend, Quarter to Three Editor-in-Chief, Tom Check. Hello, if I can get anyone a coffee, do not hesitate to let me know. Oh my god, I could so use a coffee. Coming right up. Maybe maybe a little maybe a little something in it. I don't know. It feels like that <laughs> kind of night. You've had enough. You're cut off. Our topic tonight is a game uh, near and dear to both Troy and Tom's hearts, I do believe. Uh, and a game I only discovered very recently, uh, making me, I guess, part of the problem. It is the tragically overlooked uh, Kohan Immortal Sovereigns and Kohan Armin's Gift. Uh, we're going to be talking about what makes this 2001 RTS uh, su- such a special one, and how it really hasn't been imitated despite being kind of revolutionary for its time. Uh, and even today, a lot, a lot of things about it seem really new and fresh. Uh, so, Tom, I'd like to start with you, because you've always been kind of a big booster of this game and, and TimeGate Studios. Uh, you know, what, what, are your, what are your memories of, of, of Kohan, and what makes it... What makes it so unique? First of all, I apologize. I think I screwed up my homework assignment because I have most recently been sitting down with Kohan 2, the sequel. Uh, so right out, right away, right out of the gate, I think I failed what I was supposed to do. But oh, no, that's that's really interesting. Okay, go for it. Because well, well, one thing I, I heard is... Mm-hmm. No, just one thing. I, one thing I have uncovered uh, in, in my time with Kohan fans is that there seems to be kind of a Kohan versus Kohan 2 schism. You know what, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit, because I have some thoughts that I want to bring up about that. But the, the things that make Kohan 1 great are definitely intact in, in Kohan 2. Uh, so so I, I can definitely speak to that. But I, uh, I, what I remember is just back then, uh, RTSs were, you know, they were sort of experimenting with some cool different th- ways to do things. There were a lot of them that were more conventional. But back then they were really flourishing. There were several schools of thought. There were several, if you wanted something different, you could play something different. If you wanted something typical, you could do that. But, but Kohan, uh, was definitely in the, this is a different camp. Uh, this is a different RTS camp. Uh, and there was nothing quite like it. Uh, there have been some things since then. I think you can sort of see the influence of it. Uh, it made some uh, changes to the way we play RTSs that other developers picked up on. Uh, either they got it from Kohan or it was just a natural progression. Uh, I see a lot in common with things like Rise of Legends and Company of Heroes. Um, but but what I remember is just I you know it it, it was a revelation. It was why I love RTSs. Uh, it's it's a classic example of how much creativity there is in that genre. Um. Now now Troy, I know that uh, you picked it out. It has the distinction of being one of the few games we actually managed to single out during the decade feature series. Yes, the uh, before Bruce and I left it to die in a ditch. Yeah, well, not just you. I left it there to die too with a nice little bullet that said. Yeah, I mean, I think Tom's right that it was came at a really interesting period in the RTS uh, genre. I mean, they're really two great flourishing periods uh, in the harvesting RTS period, the resource collection RTS period, uh, the founding of the genre when it was just exploding and trying a lot of really interesting things. Then there was a period where there was just a lot of cloning going on. Then the early 2000s, a lot of really weird stuff started happening. I'm, I don't quite agree with Tom that you know people picked up on stuff from Kohan. I think you see things in Kohan that have been replicated in games since. I think Company of Heroes and uh, Warcraft 3, but I think have done things similar to Kohan, but I think it's kind of an evolutionary dead end. I don't, I don't think anybody got anything from this. I think it, it may be a natural progression, but it's kind of like this stump stuck out there because it does these things in such unique and special ways that, you know, the things like uh, squads centered on heroes and um, Company the, way heroes. That it, the way that it uses terrain. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think I've really got it from there. Um, I think it, it's just right, and I'm not, I wasn't saying yeah, that. I was yeah. saying that a lot of these were natural progressions of the genre. Yeah, yeah like but, a lot but, of people, that, that, right? But, but a lot, a lot of that, that came so much later. But not a progression. Kohan got there first. It's, just, it's like this. This. It's like you get like Neanderthals plopping down in this Cenozoic era and getting eaten by tyrannosaurs. Eventually, some a human's going to come along and it's going to succeed. But it's just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it isn't appreciated in this period. 
Oh, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, it's definitely yeah. not appreciated, but a lot of the things that make Kohan yeah, great, sure. you can you can get in other RTSs. Yes. And you can see in RTSs that even preceded Kohan. Like, there's a lot okay. about Kohan you can see in Creative Assemblies games, the emphasis on morale and formations, for instance, and, and, sure. and creating these battle lines. Like, that's very Kohan. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the, the squad-based system with a hero leader. I mean, what uh, what Relic has done with the Company of Heroes model and the way they apply that to uh, their Dawn sure. of War series, sure. like, that's very Kohan-y. The, the, when I was recently playing Kohan 2, and I think Kohan one is like this. Um, the city model reminded me a lot of how Rise of Legends works, where you're yes. adding districts to a city, and a city becomes this this big, fat, all-powerful node on the map that you want to conquer, and that you're sort of jiggering, you're, you're adding new bits onto it, and you're modifying the bits. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the way you add districts to cities, and the way cities... Uh, change up your gameplay and your economy as a game progresses in Rise of Legends. Uh, and certainly the formation stuff, the way that you just sort of yeah, set... Just, yeah, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, I think, and just letting a lot, a lot of feature stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, should, we should probably pause and start unpacking some of the things we're referring to here, because yeah. if you haven't played Kohan, and its sales figures suggest you haven't, uh, th- there's a lot of things here that are probably not going to be as familiar with... To you, as you might think, despite the fact that forms of it have cropped up in RTS games since then. Um, and by the way, for any kids listening, uh, that thing about Neanderthals being eaten by Tyrannosauri uh, during the Cenozoic period, totally true. That is how the Neanderthals died out. So put that. So put that on your next. Put that on your next biology quiz. Do, do uh, your kids listen to Kohan podcasts? <laughs> they do. They do. They, you know, they finish. They finish up a day of skateboarding, and they uh, <laughs> they, they put on three moves ahead. And like, I'm gonna rock out to some Kohan podcasting. Um, so one of, one of the things that I, I really like about Kohan is that it's absolutely not a worker RTS. Uh, no. it, it's got this really unusual economy that you know. I, Frankly, to me, feels much closer. It's going too far to call like Kohan like a, calling call it a forex game, but there's there's no peon management here. Instead, you've got to manage this like uh, th- this pyramid economy that makes it really makes it really a continuing challenge to both expand your holdings and expand your army to protect it simultaneously. And you know that like I think fans of Total Annihilation will certainly recognize how the economy yeah. is. It's not a stockpiling economy. It's an economy where you have a balance that you manage. And and it's a lot more, uh, I don't know about complex, but there's a lot more sort of atmosphere and flavor and variety than in the economy of, of total annihilation. Uh, but there there aren't many uh, RTSs that played that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right, the 4X parallel. I mean, a game that comes to mind when I replayed it, I mean, the recent 4X game is, uh, is, 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 is Warlock. You know, you build your new city thing, to, and it, the city expands, and you get a new resource, and you're always managing gold or mana, and these go up and down as you build new units, which can suck uh, things in and out, and you can uh, give bonuses to one or another. Now, the difference is sometimes the, bon- the bonuses are permanent in Warlock, but there's they, are, they, they consume things. They consume gold. They consume food. They consume mana, unlike in... And in civilization, where you, you have horses, and that Civ Five that sucks the horse out, so you have to balance when you're going to build them. Um, uh, so there's this constant, but in Total Annihilation is one of the best RTS uh, parallel because it really is a nice balancing mission because you have to have there will, there will be obsolete units you'll want to trade out because they're eating up resources, but they could be you could they could be at the front. And the better units you want to buy are at the back. Um, and they're not going to get to the front soon enough, but you don't want to waste them. So there's this real t- tension in how you spend your resources. Well, and there's there's two things that I'd like to pause and note, in, is that it's not just like a, a typical like rate-based RTS economy, though, because where a lot of right. those will just sort of like choke you. And you can't do anything until you sort of fix the, you know, fix the clog in the pipeline, basically. Uh, what Kohan does is so when like when you run out of when you run out of resource that one of your units needs like wood or something for archers, it's not like suddenly there's just no wood and no archers are being built or anything like that. It starts depleting your gold economy. I think that you get like a really bad exchange rate, 
for how for how wood basically is used how how gold is used to buy the other resources that you've run short of and and so again like going back to this the the this balancing act uh you know the resource the the, the like the raw materials resources and the gold are sort of are, are sort of interconnected in this interesting way that you have to you have to consume the resources to raise more gold which is kind of more versatile uh but at the same time gold is also a really useful like stopgap and uh, that that sort of tug of war in, in in balancing those resources out and making sure that your economy is on a sound footing uh, is again something you have to sort of manage throughout the game and pay attention to, and it, it imposes tough choices. The other thing, though, I wanted to to point out, Troy, uh, and maybe this is why I'm actually kind of crap at the game and I can't beat some of the uh, modded AIs that I've encountered uh, since I started playing it, but. You do want to get like more modern units. You you want to get the more advanced units, but the problem is by the time they become available, you might have some kind of crummy units who become awesome ass-kicking veterans. Yep. Uh, I I really love one of the things I really enjoy about Kohan, and I, I get this this promotes another parallel to sort of the things that the relic has been doing, but Kohan really emphasizes uh, veterancy and taking care of your army much more than most RTSs. Well, and it also lets you, it allows that with the, the supply model in that when an army takes casualties, it's not like a normal RTS where you have to spend money to b- rebuy those units, basically. Like an army is a unit that as long as it's, even if a bunch of them get killed, as long as it's in a city radius, they'll regenerate and respawn for free, and quote-unquote free, because you are supporting them with that balance of resources that you've got. But it's not like another RTS where you can fight a battle, take losses, and you're immediately behind because of your losses in the economic game. Kohan doesn't work that way. I, I love that about it. Um, and I, I want to also, I, I really like Troy's parallel to Warlock, because that's a, that's a great, ex- I mean, that, that right there, Warlock, of course, turn-based game, much more conventional 4X, but, but Kohan has that same sense of, here's your city, the stuff you put inside of the city is going to determine what armies you can build. Uh, and I loved when you pointed that out, Troy, that, that was like a light bulb. It's like, oh, yeah, that's where I've seen that recently. Uh, you know, so that that determines your city determines what your army is going to be. Uh, I, I love that that interplay that they've got going there. Well, and, and then that sort of ties into, you know, it, it, Kohan doesn't have your traditional like faction faction breakdown. Again, there's so much there's so many random elements. But one one of the things that is really cool is that when you take someone else's city, and there's also these independent little settlements scattered around the map that you can, that you can uh, conquer, you get access to the build tree of whatever civilization you just conquered, uh, at least in that city. And so you get these, um, I don't know, like these... Uh, Polyglot would be the wrong word, but just uh, like these, like <laughs> multiracial. Mul- yeah, mul- yeah, mul- you get these. Yeah, you get these multiracial uh, rainbow coalition armies uh, that that you just don't get in in your conventional RTS. And also very warlock as well. Uh, there's a little similarity uh, in that regard as well. Yeah, uh, and what you can also and that also comes out, Rob, in the way that the armies are built. Uh, you, you know, normally in an RTS, you've got individual units. Here you have the individual units, but because they're arranged in companies, uh, you, you know, each and each company you can customize. I mean, I don't know how many ple- people play Kohan and just click on the pre-configured ones and how many really dig into that custom thing. And they, they give themselves core units and then flanks and then the support units and they stick a a faction leader on there, uh, but it really supports getting in there, you know, rolling up your sleeves and, and making custom units, as it were, with the company system. You could get you could do some really neat stuff with, you know, having support units, having just all melee, or having archers or mages in the back, doing the healing units back there. You could have a lot of fun. Um, we talked in the Alpha Centauri show with Brian Reynolds about customizing units and what a pain in the ass that was, um, how it was a terrible way to do it, but the customizing squads in Kohan was, it just made so much sense. Um, then the default systems were fine uh, most of the time, but the heroes, um, each of whom had very special powers, were actually quite unique. Getting to know your heroes and watching them gain experience and knowing who your leaders would be and where you would want them, that could determine what kind of squad you would have. What you could get away with not having in a squad would depend on which hero was leading them. Um, so it really did uh, reward getting to know your troops. 
And of course, if your hero died, it left a medallion behind that would be could be picked up by the enemy, and then could, that person shows up in their army. Uh, so there's a real tension um, to you know losing a really superior hero. Uh, there's so the heroes. I mean, this the immortal sovereign thing. I wrote in my um, essay on for the decade series that the the name was was completely unintelligible, but very descriptive. Immortal sovereigns I mean, meant nothing unless you understood the game. It was all about these guys being immortal. And the immortality was central to you know, building the units and carrying them into battle and bringing them back and rescuing them. Um, and it was such a wonderful part of the unit creation and the mythos and the gameplay. And isn't that even what a Kohan was? Like, I, what is that word? I mean, it's a fake I, word. I, I, I think that's the... I think it was the land? No, no, was I think... It? It, it, no, it's... Those are the people? I, I think those are the immortal sovereigns. The eponymous immortal sovereigns, I believe, are, the are, ca- are called Kohans. Yes. So was Kohan? So it's re- a redundant name. Kohans would be like. Yeah. The, the, Tom- the, well, like the subtitle is explaining what the word is <laughs> exactly. It's the definition after the colon. I so think, shouldn't it I think be I'm a dash right. or a parenthesis and not a colon? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It sounds uh, well, more that- definitive with a colon. Yeah. Well, the marketing really, I mean, they, they kind of set themselves up to, I, I don't know about fail, but that was certainly one of the challenges the game had is nobody knows what a koan is and immortal sovereign. I mean, I, I that could be a turn-based game. That could be a historical simulator. Uh, Timegate has, has been traditionally pretty awful at marketing their, their stuff, I, I think. I feel sorry for the poor guys. Even Koan 2, wasn't it called... I want to say Age of Kings or something of Kings. No, it was like uh, War something. Uh, war of Kings, Kings of War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kings of War, Kings of War. <laughs> no, come on. I made that up. Are you serious? It is not. No, really that's kings. it. That's it. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, well, but I do think, Troy, it, a Kohan is what the Immortal Sovereign is. And there is that whole idea that they're in the medallion. Uh, yeah. I never quite understood what that was. Um, it's uh, like it's like being a genie, really, which is, seems kind of less awesome. You know, like, oh, they're so powerful and they're trapped in this medallion. <laughs> if you rub the medallion, they come out, yeah. Uh but, they 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 also had like the can you can you guys let me let me give you a quiz here. God. If I were to name a race in Kohan, can you tell me what that race is? But let's try. Who knows what a and good lord, I would have no idea how to say these words out loud. But who knows what a dr- draga druaga? What, what are the draga? Uh, they're kind of like beast men, right? I was going to say orcs, but I, I think you might be right. Yeah, they're like the beastmen, goblin, orky kind of dudes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, so here you go. How about the, uh, and again, wouldn't know how to say this out loud, but I'm going to try it. Haroon. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh... They're like Viking elves? Are they Vikings? God, well, they're, they're, the Viking elves. It sounds definitely... like they sound like Viking elves. I don't know. Well, yeah, you, here's why it, that works, Troy, or why I think you might be right, is I, I can imagine, I mean, you're right, they're the elves, but the word Harun, that's, is that, is that the noise they make when they blow their little elven horns or something? I have no idea why they would be called Harun. Uh, but yes, you're right. Okay, so for the tiebreaker, Rob, you got Trawaga. Alright. Uh, Troy, you got Harun. What are the, uh, you know what I'm, sp- is it Ga- Gari? Isn't Gari one of the other ones? Uh, are the Gari the dog things? Ah, nope. Troy, it's your opportunity to run away with the the game if you can name the Gari what they are. If I hear Gari, typing, I'm those, gonna kill you. The, yeah, God, those aren't the lizard people. Oh, that would be the Slan. No, the the Gari are the dwarves, I believe. Like, don't they get extra gold and and stuff? Uh, but, but the point being, so, by the way, it was a tie. Congratulations. Uh, we'll that have to do a, a rubber match. I'm kind of ashamed to have even made that a tie, <laughs> but anyway. Well, the, the point being that, that Kohan really did, I, I don't understand why they didn't just use regular names or traditional names, because all these things are familiar. I mean, you look yeah. at the Haroon, they're sure. definitely elves, they live in tree houses, their cities grow organically, uh, even though they're riding ostriches, which is about the most adorable thing. They're, the elven cow, the yeah. Haroon cavalry are directly at a joust. I love that about them. But everybody knows they're elves, you know, the, the, 
Draugr, you can tell they're orcs, sort of like like Rob said, beastmasters. So I don't know why uh, TimeGate was so attached to coming up with fancy new words for familiar concepts. And I wonder how much that kind of hobbled them in terms of confusing people. Yeah, but you know, and I, I mean, some of the, some of the stuff sounds kind of corny. Like, I mean, Viking elves. Just, I mean, that's like you know, two great flavors that taste great together. Well, why are they Vikings, but, Troy? I am curious. But like, why do you call? I them don't Vikings? know. I mean, Harun just sounds like a. That just sounds like a Viking curse word. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but, but but at the same time, I mean, I guess if you if you look at this in context, though, I mean, like in two thousand, at least the way I remember it, you know, around this period, like. The RTS is kind of a crowded genre, uh, you know, yeah. maybe a little more, maybe a little more so than it is right now. And you've still got like, you know, I mean, like Warcraft is Warcraft. Warcraft three is either out or coming, right? When is Warcraft three? I'm awful That's with 2002. dates. That's 2002. Yeah. Okay. So you, you've got, yeah. So you got like Warcraft three out there, Command and Conquer, um, you know, Age of Empires. So, I mean, you're looking at this, like, you know, fantasy's kind of covered, his, like, his, you know, ancient history's kind of covered. So, I guess you, you kind of start groping for ways to differentiate yourself, and you settle on, like, rich original lore. Uh, which is, you know, I mean, you know, in the context of that period, maybe it seems like a sensible decision, but it's not communicated really well. I'm not sure that the lore would have been that much of a barrier if people had, you know, played it to begin with. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, um, I think whether that was a, would it be a barrier to marketing, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think how I would have sold it besides saying, yeah, these are the elves, and we just call them elves. Um, but generally, we in PR don't get to make those decisions. Well, there really is no point. I mean, there's nothing to distinguish them from regular elves, regular dwarves, no. regular beastmasters. Right. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they, they furthermore, uh, and I don't, this was part of their lore that I never really got, and I don't remember how much of this was in Kohan 1, but it's throughout Kohan 2. So, so when you pick a race in Kohan 2, you then pick a, I don't know what, I, I guess a government form. It's kind of a modifier. And you pick whether they are, uh, and it makes it sound like the Spanish Civil War or something, because you're picking either royalists or nationalists. Yeah. <laughs> and then furthermore, if I think the evil race, they, they can be, uh, and I have no idea what's going on with this, they can be either the fallen or, and here's another fake word, I have no idea what it is, or the Sia. No, Sia is not a fake word. C-E-Y-A-H is not a fake word? I don't know. Maybe I, I do uh, not no, know that no, word. No, no, no. That's the, isn't that isn't that kind of are are we kind of like in Celtic mythology at that point? Cel Celtic mythology is fake, Rob. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like no, you real might be right. Same way orcs no, are real, no, it's just, it's, it's, see, I think that that's just, that's just Gaelic for Sith, right? <sighs> Did you just make a Star Wars joke? <laughs> Star Wars. Star Wars observation. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sia might be from something. I don't know. It, it just, sound, it just sounds really reminiscent of like Seely, but no, I don't. I think that's an original, stupid idea. Okay, or a Star Wars thing. I mean, I'm not giving up on that yet. Well, the thing is, whatever it is, it has like a, a modifier. Like your your guys will build 15% faster and they're 20% slower in trees. Or there, there's a weird group of modifiers that applies to your race depending on which one of these you pick. Slower uh, in trees. See, Sith because the Ewoks. You know what? I just made that up. I don't think that's actually in there, Troy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the thing is, like, I don't understand why these couldn't have been communicated better, like Troy said before. Uh, you know, just come out, like, make them the woodland race or the 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 monarchy government versus the democratic government. Like, I don't royalists yeah. and nationalists in the world of Kohan. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. I don't remember that from the from the first Kohan at all. Um, but I do remember because they had, as I recall, I just remember this. I played it. A little bit today, my mind's kind of fuzzy. There are Imperials, and what else, Rob? In the original Kohan, no, it's yeah. Royalists, Nationalists, Seiya, and uh, okay. Then what, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of something all together. Yeah, but okay. yeah, but so so in Kohan one, you got Royalist, Nationalist, right. and there the difference is like the Nationalists, I guess, are are a little bit more tuned for rapid expansion, right. uh, land rush strategies, right? And the Royalists are more like hubs of power. 
uh, is yeah. kind of the yes. kind of the way it goes. They, I mean, they both they both get log jammed uh, economically in the early game. The early game is is I, I still find really tough, but it really is a game that requires not necessarily a a, a, a build order. I don't go that far, but you do have to plan it out really carefully. You have to. It's kind of like. Uh, Civ five in that way, you have to know the lay of the land and pick quite carefully what you're going to be building first. Well, that's uh, a build order. You don't. Now, well, it is in a way, but it's not like it's kind of set. It's not like it's not like you're always going to build this building and this structure because well, you 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 might not right. have a certain thing and, in a certain direction. And one reason for that is the odds are very good you're going to be playing on a random map. Yes. Uh, and so, and, and it has, a, there, there's a bunch of sliders, so it's very much like Civ, and that you sort of create the character of your world. Like, you know, is it going to be temperate, more like more of a woodland map, uh, that, that kind of thing. But this is, this is why it sort of resists, like, just having a build order that you plug in, is that it certainly seems to me like you can also get totally screwed by that random map generation and where you start on the map. It's not like an RTS where it's like you have corner start and everyone kind of knows the, the, the lay of the land in their general neighborhood or at least can like make good guesses about it. In Kohan, the, the very start of the game is, you know, you, you've got to you've got to explore the unknown and uh, f- find what's out there. And, and, and you can't just plunk extra cities down next to each other because they have like a population zone of control where you can't allow other settlements. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you've got this sort of like exploratory phase that I, I think it makes the game both interesting and really tricky and maybe tosses up some some real dud uh, dud battles at times because basically you have to pick a direction and go and start you know just explore in one direction and just like through dumb bad luck you can have your settlers out there or your scouts like trying to find a place to settle and you can't find you're you're still stuck in these overlapping zones of control and if you just gone the other direction everything would have been fine and that's one one of the things that changed in Kohan too is you couldn't do that is they didn't have they had fixed city sites much like um I think Age of Mythology did that. Some of the Age yep. games did that. Yep. Uh, so, so you had to find a fixed city site and not sort of fumble around and be at the mercy of however much space you could claim in a random map. Uh, you know, the city sites, of course, were still random, but they were fixed, and you had to explore and, and find those. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that was one of the, the, the objections that a lot of Kohan 1 fans had to Kohan 2. Yeah. Um, but well, I think it did help what you're talking about, Rob, where, you know, you've got to fumble around, you can get screwed by the map. Uh, I think it minimized that in Kohan 2. Yeah, I mean, I could see where I could, I could see where I would certainly be ambivalent about that change myself, and I, I really should play a Kohan 2. Uh, maybe we'll do a, a, a show on that one day, uh, just focusing on that one. But because so much of this is uh, sort of driven by the concept of, like, the strategic city, Right, like like you can you can put outposts out there uh, to extend right. your supply network and everything. And fighting near supply is a huge advantage because units retreat there, they basically recharge, replace their losses, and then go out and battle full strength. So if you've extended your supply network out to the enemy's doorstep, now you've brought the home world home field advantage uh, to an offensive attack. And so the, there are things you do things like you you run, run a city up really close to the enemy and you plunk it down. And now you've got a huge you've got a huge edge in in combat and areas like that. So I could see I could see myself you know being kind of uh, bummed out to see that feature. Well, there like, there are there, but there are definitely outposts in Kohan too. I mean, you can still extend your supply. It's just where you actually build a city yeah. is based on the, the nodes on the map. Uh, but supply is still a huge part, and it's still something that you have control over. Um. So, so uh, one of the other things I, I really love about this game is just the way um, the the idea of unit stances, just the way combat works in general. But unit stances, uh, well, formations, I guess we'll we'll, we'll call them. Uh, so the way the way they the way they move across the map, and the the sort of risk reward. Uh, judgments you've got to make just about moving your troops from point A to point B uh, really seems unlike just about any other RTS I've ever played. Yes, as, as far as choosing uh, like the combat or the column formation, the skirmish, like that. Right. Well, yeah. Why, why, why don't you break that down, Tom? So uh, the way it works is normally a unit uh, 
when it's moving, it's it's relatively slow. Uh, but if you want, you can change it to column formation, and it's going to get a speed boost, but it's going to get a penalty to its combat efficiency. Uh, and alternatively, during a scouting phase, you can put something in skirmish mode, which gives it, I think it's a combat penalty, but it increases its detection radius. Uh, so what you've got to decide is if you want to get somewhere fast, do you put it in vulnerable column uh, formation? Or if you want to get somewhere safe, do you keep it slow in, in combat formation? Because once units sort of bang into another unit's zone of control, you can't influence that anymore. And there's no, by the way, this, I love this about Kohan, there's no tactical messing around with the game. Like, like as far as battles go, the tactic's completely out of your hands. The AI takes over. Uh, once units bump into each other's zones of control, that's it. You're done. They're mm-hmm. going to do their own thing. And the best you can do is maybe retreat if, if you want if you want to do that. Well, or uh, you can make sure that a unit joins the battle in just the right position, right? So, like, once the unit's locked in combat, you can't do anything, but you can still position it for that crushing flank attack if you don't screw up. And this is where, like, you know, right there on the front lines, these stance issues become, like, really crucial because you might have a unit getting cut up there, and you want to throw your cavalry or something into cavalry into a column formation, get them out on the flank really quickly, and crush the enemy's support units that are back there. But... Because they can't see a damn thing when they're in column, if you run them out on that flanking attack and they run into trouble, now you've got two units that are getting cut up. And I, so I just, I just love this. It, it's, it's very wargamey, it feels to me. Like, it's all about, like, the, the, the moment of decision. And once the units are committed, it's all out of your hands. And it's, and one, of the, it's one of the Go few ahead, RTSs where I've really appreciated the importance of the, one of the first RTS that drove home the importance of the forced march. A lot of war games, sometimes they'll say, oh, you can force march this unit if you want to, but it's not often a really good decision because you know something's going to be trying to kill you, you know the direction it's going to be coming from. So a lot of war games, except for maybe Gettysburg, force marches aren't something I encounter a lot of. But in Cohen, I did a lot of force marches. I did a lot of column stuff because I have a unit that was isolated and I'd have to rescue it, an experienced unit. So I'd have to rush guys out there. I'd have to say, you know, safety be damned get these raw recruits up there, protect that flank so I can pull those other guys back. You guys are going to be taking the brunt of the battle, rush up there, run, run, run. Um, it's about, it's a, a lot of their games have had formations. I mean, Age of Empires 2 had formations. Uh, but they were, you know, pretty much, pretty rough stuff. A pretty basic sort of formations. And their purposes were pretty much, well, where do you want your archers to be? Um, here the formations were really about the what is the what is the purpose of this unit? What do you want this unit to do? And are you willing to take the risks associated with this? Um, and the fact that yeah, once they're in another and once another enemy spots them or engages with them, they're kind of stuck. You're, you you you've, you've rolled your dice. You know, the dice have flown. You've crossed the Rubicon. You're stuck with your decision, and you've got to deal with it and cope with it. And that was just such a brilliant little thing. You can't you can't adjust it. You can't tweak it. The battles started, and all you've got to you can rescue them. Maybe try to pull them out um, if they get defeated. Um, but you're kind of you've got to deal with the decision. It was just so beautifully done, and so simply done. Um, and this is once again where the squad uh, makeup matters so much, um, where the speed of the unit matters, where the durability of the unit matters. Uh, it's uh, it's something I'd like to see more of, I think, in RTSs. Well, this is this is something that I, I brought up in in my column for GameSpy, talking about this game a little bit. In that, to me, it often feels like. RTSs are not necessarily for people who consider themselves strategy gamers. There's a lot of things that sort of push you out of the genre. So many of them are so driven by micromanagement. And Kohan really feels like sort of a an RTS for civ addicts in a lot of ways. Where it just where it's just sort of coming from this perspective of, you know, micromanagement, like first of all, there's a lot of great games that do that. Like if you want to like play a game where you're like Dealing, messing with a lot of like quick tactical decision making. There's an RT. There's a lot of games you can choose from that do this. But this is a game that kind of comes from a perspective of you know, like micromanagement isn't for everybody, and in some ways it kind of sucks because it gets in the way of maybe executing, uh, you know, plan like strategic level plans. And Kohan makes that really possible. 
And it also does things that you don't really get in our other RTSs because of the way the formations work, because of the way that flanking is something that happens organically rather than something that gives you a plus two modifier or something. Like it's, it's important to flank because that's where the support units sit. That's where the wizards are. And if you can smash into a dude's wizard, you're going to weaken that formation. Whereas if you're just fighting them up front, you can't kill that little guy back there. Uh, and in a lot of other RTSs, that's not you know, you've got to tactically manage, like you said, Rob, micromanage all that stuff. But here, if you just hit something by the from the, from the side or from behind, you're naturally going to get the advantage of flanking by by what units you're attacking. And not a lot of RTSs let you do that without having to like get really really fiddly with it. Uh, and and this does something. You know, I you you mentioned Gettysburg, Troy. I, I think. Probably the RTS this most resembles is, oddly enough, Gettysburg. Mm. Uh, as as far as the formations go, chaining units together. Like you you yep. bring units together and you 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 put left right. You know this guy's on this guy's flank and you make a line. Uh, you know you and when they when they fight, there's a little front that develops there. Uh, the whole interplay of of cavalry and frontline units and of course they're archers uh, that might be the artillery. But all that interplay is very much like a traditional Civil War war game. Uh, in that regard, it's very familiar paper, rock, scissors-y there. Uh, and one of the things that I don't get in other RTSs is something will happen, like you'll be you'll be sieging a city, and you've got it, it's going great, you're, you're about to roll over the through the walls and, and take it, but if you've got to watch your back, like if you aren't watching where you've come from or where the rest of his army is, and that's a very Civil War thing, is where is that guy's army? You know, you don't have satellites and stuff. Where, where He's got units out there somewhere. Which way are they going to come from? So there are many games. I've had great games of Kohan where I'm about to take a city or someone's about to take my city, and my army gets there just in time to hit them from behind because they're busy banging on the walls, uh, and you... you you, you creep up when they don't, when, you know, where they're not covered and you hit their support units and you just completely take back the city. And there's not a lot of RTSs that play at that level. Yeah, and, and then you've got the, you've got the terrain considerations. The, the, the fact that, um, you know, like units in woods get heavy defense yeah. bonuses. Yeah. Uh, like fighting your way through a forest is just a nightmare. So this gaps between the trees become like strategic byways that are really crucial to control, but they're a real risk to send units like racing along them because you might get hit from the flank or something by a unit you didn't spot. And, and so you, you get these things where you you get you get this dynamic where you basically try to choose the site of the battle. You try to dictate to your to your enemy like this is where we're going to do this. You know, I'm not going I'm not going to fight in the plains outside my city. I'm going to fight you here on these hills, and my flank is anchored in those woods, you know. And so you're going to have to figure out how to unravel this position. Well, and uh, even like in, entrenchment. Like if I'm not mistaken, when a unit's like standing still, yes. it entrenches. So you want yeah. the other guy to march to you rather than vice versa. I love that. Dynamic. Oh, and, and engineers uh, provide a bonus to the units they're with uh, in, in, in entrenchment speed. Yep. Uh, so even the worker unit is actually a pretty solid defensive combat unit and a great siege unit, but they're also useful to attach to a like an infantry company, an archer company, yeah. to give a quick defensive bonus. So they race up there, they dig in quickly, and now you've got like a moving breastwork. Right. Well, this is again, like you said, Rob. This is uh, ties Cohen in many ways to to, to the forex genre because you don't see that in RTSs. You don't see terrain bonuses in most real-time strategy games, but you do see them in Far X games all the time. You do see this sort of, you know, you're on, you're in swamp, you're on the hill, you're in woods, uh, where terrain matters and where choosing where the battle's going to happen actually matters. I mean, you just don't see that in real-time strategy games anymore. I'm not sure you saw it before then. And that's one of the see, things that... I mean, I, I, I would, think I would, that, I think that's again part of the legacy of Kohan, and uh, yeah. is that's a huge factor in relics RTSs. You know, terrain matters. It has a really coarse-grained approach to terrain, though. Right. Well, so does so does Kohan in a way. Like something's either in trees or out of trees, and there's a blob of of mm. terrain there. But uh, but I, I just, I, I mean, I love that feature, and it. It's not – Troy's definitely right. It's not in a lot of RTSs. But I think that we have seen it as a feature that some RTSs really want to use. And that was something – I'm not sure we could say Kohan was first to do it. But mm. Kohan did a great job of it, and a few RTSs have still maintained that, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Tom, you, you, you showed up bringing Kohan 2 to the party. And – 
so the 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 friend of mine uh, who introduced me to Kohan, I, I was like, well, we could, you know, we, should we try Kohan too? And he was like, no, Kohan too. They 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 kind of screwed up the formula. And yeah, I've why does some... he say that? Like, what do, did he give you specifics for why he felt that way? Uh, well, his God, see, I, I wish he was here. I should have I should have got him. You should have invited him. Yeah. Um, well, I think he's probably putting his kids to bed right now. But uh, no, he just he just felt it. it he his, he said it became more generic. He said it became too battle for Middle Earthy and not enough Kohan. I have no idea what that means, but because uh, it's the same atmosphere. Well, here's what I think part of it is. I mean, the the fixed city stuff might be part of it, but Kohan was 2D. Like the transition to 3D graphics, like they made little polygonal dudes, um, and it looks kind of rough now. It doesn't weather. I mean, well, this RTS is from that long ago, but um, I, I think a lot of people objected to maybe the fact that they went from 2D artwork to 3D artwork, and suddenly it looked like all the little people in Battle for Middle Earth or Command and Conquer or whatever. There's just little tiny polygonal dudes running around on the field and in buildings. Um, so I wonder. I think that was an objection that folks had. Um, but but Troy, you you too sort of felt that the 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 first game was was kind of the the standout of the series. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it maybe because it was first, it really I think I, mean, I didn't play a lot of Kohan two. I mean, really, I I didn't. Um, I played a lot more of Kohan one. I think um, maybe I, I I did like the art better. It was certainly a part of. It. I liked the two D art. They had a nicer style to it. Um, and I did like uh, placing the cities. I liked the idea of, having a, of founding strategic, like you said, Rob, strategic cities and having city placement actually being part of the strategy uh, instead of, uh, I mean, there's a lot to be said for fixed city placement. And I think in many games, it does have an important role to play. It worked really well in Rise of Legends, worked really well in Age of Mythology, and I think it worked pretty well in Koan too. But I think I preferred uh, the way that... Uh, Cities worked in Kohan One with um, how cities became a weapon, uh, but I think that worked quite well with uh, how the rest of the map is in many ways a weapon in Kohan One. I think that was one of my general objections, uh, and yeah, and 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 the art. But I just spent more time with Kohan. I couldn't fall in love with Kohan Two the way I did with Kohan One. Plus Haroon, what the hell is a Haroon? It's an elf that rides an ostrich. <laughs> well, I think there were more races. Yeah, uh, there were more races, I think, in Kohan too. There were. Uh, it was. A, it was. A, it was a much. It was much more diverse. It wasn't. I think. I mean, Kohan. The first Kohan was pretty much just humans. There were other people roaming around the maps, uh, but they were pretty. They didn't do much. They were mostly monsters to be beaten. Um, it, it was. It was. It was more diverse. They had. There were more. There was greater variety. I much, and that added some niceness. Like if I didn't play it a whole lot, maybe I would have loved it more if I played it more. But it just didn't grab me with this. Wow, this is actually something kind of special and new, uh, like the first Kohan did. So maybe it was just the flush of newness, the flush of awesome. Um, but well, the, th the great thing is you can still play both of them. Uh, oh yeah, we'll absolutely. They're both available on. Uh, are they on? Are they available somewhere? They're on Steam. Oh, on Steam. Can, yep, on you can get them both on Steam. Yeah. Uh, I would personally recommend Kohan 2 because I feel it's more in tune with uh, a, a big part of what RTSs do these days. And a lot of what I look for in an RTS is extreme asymmetry. I love asymmetry. Yeah. So Kohan 2, with all the different races, I think there's six of them, uh, they do some really funky things with some of them. For, for instance, the undead, they can feel these these massive armies of almost upkeep free cheap zombies uh, and I, I just love the idea of having an undead army that has some like cool bone knights and a, maybe some necromancer types but that's mainly just just crappy zombies uh, and there's a demon race that has a bunch of flying cheap flapping things uh, so by adding in these evil races that they didn't have in the first game they really play around with those a lot uh, and if the Haroon weren't in Kohan 1, I would really miss them as well because they have the, the special cavalry. Their cities grow, like, organically. You don't you don't physically up, pay to upgrade them. It's just once they reach a certain point, they just they sprout like trees. Um, so they played a lot more with distinct races and asymmetry in Kohan 2, yeah. and I would really miss that going back to Kohan 1. I, I, I don't know, like, it's, it's, something I definitely, it's something I definitely want to, to visit uh, – Mainly just because I'm I'm curious to see where TimeGate took took the series before kind of walking away from 
uh, RTSs. Uh, which se- which seems like kind of a shame, actually, going back and, and playing Kohan, because it's, you, you know, there there are times when it, when it feels like, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, like in the last in the last several years at least, uh, Relic have been, you know, Relic have been the primary drivers of, of the genre, uh, and, and have sort of you know and and pushed it in a very very specific specific direction and and we've seen some we've seen some challenges to that we we with um you know games like uh men of war or uh ruse and war game but but going back to going back to kohan it just feels like you know i guess you called it an evolutionary dead end for me troy i guess it feels more like an undiscovered country Mm. where i where i go to this and it's like this this weird like alternate version of what the rts genre could have turned into and i like it yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there are a lot of if it had been picked up on, or if this, if if they had, it's kind of like, what if, if if Petroglyph had had any of their games be only any of their really great ideas in their games turn into one really great game, and kept making really good RTSs out of them instead of making some really neat ideas that didn't get fully hatched. Um, where would the RTS be? I think some really talented people at Petroglyph couldn't really pull it together for one awesome game. And now they're working on um, an MORTS. I'm looking forward to. Um, I think that there are so many of these stories um, in the strategy game genre of games that are either really, really good, and then for one reason or another, there aren't. I mean, the people who made Imperialism, uh, Bernstein and the Spites. I mean, they made Trade Empires after that, and then nothing. And we have Kohan and Kohan 2, and now. TimeGate's working on the Section 8 games, which are great, you know, uh, arena shooters, but I suck at shooters. I Actually, that's... I, I gotta jump in here, Troy, because that's not at all what Section 8 is. Section 8, you can see a lot of Kohan there. Section 8 is, a, as far as a shooter, it's one of the, I think, the rare shooters that has a, a huge debt to what they did with RTSs. Yeah, well, got I'm sure this, it does. They've got this great terrain control mechanic, uh, the, the way the base building works. You can definitely see, hey, these oh. guys aren't regular shooter dudes. You know, where did they come from? And you're like, oh, oh I'm, 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 not, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that, they, that, they're scared, that what they did in Cohen wouldn't have an influence. I'm just saying that I suck at it. <laughs> and, that well, they, I found, and that I have very little interest in... I mean, hey, we, we represented a sex, sex Nation Prejudice at our company. I, we're very proud of the work we did with it, but it's not a game that I'm actually any, any good at. Uh, uh, they also, though... They, they didn't, by the way, stop. I don't know if you guys remember this. This was kind of a sad chapter after Kohan. But do you guys remember that they adapted this to the World War II setting with an Axis and Allies licensed? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I've just it really forgot. was sad. Jesus, yeah, this, so, oh so, Rob, so they, they do Kohan. They do oh. Kohan 2. Uh, oh they God. get the license from, I guess this would have been... Hasbro, Hasbro, whoever. Yeah. yeah, they get the Axis and Allies license. Did Atari publish this? I don't remember. But but they decide they're going to basically take so. Kohan 2 and they're going to make it a World War II game. You know, there's going to be tanks and okay. infantry and airplanes. And, you know, that reservation right there in your in your voice, Rob, exactly what you're worried about is exactly what happened. <laughs> it, was, it was just awful. It didn't fit. It really was this uh, round peg in a square hole or yeah. vice versa. I mean, it really did feel like they were just whacking at it with a mallet, hoping it would fit. And they finally released it, and it just didn't fit. And uh, it was just really disappointing. Um, yeah, it was I had the feeling, like, oh wow, they, this is how badly do they need the money? That was kind of my reaction. Well, I, I you know, it, I, yeah, it's sort of like they thought, okay, we tried it with a weird fantasy thing. It became a you know a cult classic, which is a polite way of saying not enough people bought it. So what if we stick a popular license and a popular motif on yeah. it? I mean, you know what? If I was a publisher, Troy, I think I might think, yeah, you guys have a great idea. Do that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> which is why, which is why I'm not a publisher. I should say. Uh, yeah, it's God. There's a there's there's a game I should play well, I, again. I don't know. I, I I guess just you know again thinking about how it sounds. My 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 main reservation, I guess, is that it's access. Well, it, just from the standpoint of like, how, how do you sell people in this game? The access and allies, I don't think has a lot of. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a powerful brand, at least among people who play strategy games on PC. I think you're you, you run into kind of a disconnect where it's like, you know, okay, we, we've got this really like forward-thinking RTS that we're going to bolt Axis and Allies onto, and that sort of seems like we kind of leave everyone out in the cold. But also, well, that, the implementation wasn't good. It doesn't matter. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. But consider too, Rob, that two years later, someone, they didn't have the Axis and Allies license, but someone taking the World War II formula and applying it to an RTS made a great RTS that I still play to this day. Uh, you know, two years later, Relic did Company of Heroes. Uh, and, you know, they did a lot of bold things, kind of like Kohan did, and they had a huge hit with that. Um, so, yeah. but they weren't, they weren't trying to take this weird formula, though, and adapt it where it didn't fit. Uh, yeah, and, and they also had the advantage of a stunning engine. Uh, yes, yes. That, I mean, yeah. like, Company of Heroes kind of sold itself. I, I'm, I'm convinced yeah. some people probably picked that up without being fully aware it was, a, it was an RTS until they got home. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so, but I don't know. I, just, I look at Kohan, and it's just, it's just such a shame because it's, I guess there's a part of me that just feels like there, there's this injustice in that, like, you know, Kohan doesn't thrive, but, you know, Command and Conquer shambles on. Um, <laughs> but You can still do tons. You can still play Kohan. You can still get it on Steam. I do encourage everybody to check it out. Um, it is, if, you, if you've missed it, I mean, it's such an amazing, unique title, a unique series uh, in strategy games. And, well, if I'm not mistaken, Troy, I think when you get it, it's one of those like complete package things that includes Kohan One and Kohan Two. Yeah. So you, 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 do, you don't. Separately, but the, yeah, okay. it's more cost effective probably just to get the bundle. Yeah, and and I feel too that uh, so I I, I don't want to I don't want to assume too much because I don't know everything that that went on, but I feel that that the release of Kohan Two was partly this this horrible chapter of fans kind of. Not sabotaging because the game came out and I, I imagine it sold. I mean, I don't think it flopped, but a, a lot of fans really did turn on Timegate and the Kohan series with Kohan 2. Uh, and I think there was this kind of groundswell of core Kohan fans who got to play the beta for Kohan 2. You know, Timegate let them play the beta and they decided for whatever reason, whether it was the artwork or the way the mm -hmm. cities were changed, for whatever reason, there was this campaign of people just saying, you know, Kohan 2 is just utter crap. This game sucks. Don't buy it. We hate it. We're just going to keep playing Kohan 1. And there was this real weird just, just vehement outrage against Kohan 2 that reminds me a lot, actually, of, of what happened with Mass Effect 3, where people fixate on something that they are particularly disappointed in, and I feel they blow it out of proportion, and that becomes the narrative of the sequel, uh, and it undermines what what I think could have been a lot of goodwill for, for a cool sequel that tries something new. Um, so uh, I, I think that uh, Kohan 2 just had... just, just can't, right out of the gate, had to deal with this really bad situation. But it's it's totally worth picking up now, especially because, and I've run into a few problems like with um, getting multiplayer to work well uh, with Kohan 1, but I will say that just as a skirmish uh, RTS, it's really outstanding. Like, there, there's some great AI in that game. The difficulty scales up really nicely, and uh, apparently th there have also been people sort of like writing new AIs for the game yeah. uh, that can really... <laughs> they can really bring it. Like I was playing against, I was playing against a couple of these AIs uh, a couple weeks ago, and I mean they are just terrifying. Uh, but they they will give you a great game. They will, you know, so many, so many. This drives me, this drives me so crazy in a lot of RTS games where like the AI like has, is good for like twenty minutes of a match, right? And then it peters out. It's basically just teaching you how to deal with rush tactics. Uh, but then it has no concept of how to play the late game. But but Kohan is one of those games where the AI. Will com will completely go the distance and knows how to concentrate its forces for a major attack, um, and so you 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 kind of you you kind of get in this strategic touring test situation where it's like this this is this is the, this AI is like playing like a person and better frankly than a lot of people. And if you've got if you've got, if you're lucky enough to have two computers, by the way, it is of course being from a whole different era of software publishing, mm. very 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 land friendly. Uh, you know, if you can, if you and a friend want to try a really cool RTS that's different from other RTSs you're used to, pick up one copy of Kohan or Kohan 2 and just just go to town with a buddy because it, it's a great like one versus one RTS. Uh. So, as we wind this down, a, a question for you guys because you know, again, I just I look at I look at Kohan and the era it's coming out of, and the fact you've got a Rise of Nations, I think just a, just a couple years later. 
Uh, so you've got you've got a period where the where the RTS genre seems much less codified. It seems like there's a lot there's a lot of really exciting experimentation going on, a lot of genre bending. Uh, what do you think accounts for some of the dynamism you see in that period? And do you think we will see something like that again in the genre? In RTSs, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I guess the the genres, I wouldn't say fallen out of favor, but you know, everybody's busy making their their shooters, their RPGs. Um, but yeah, I've I've always sort of defended that. You know, I think there's a lot of creativity that goes into real time strategy games, and uh, so yeah, of course, I think we'll see new things. Um, yeah, Troy, what would you guess, like, is uh, is Tryon's, you mentioned Tryon's End of Nations, Tryon's publishing, Petroglyph's developing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're trying something that I think Age of Empires Online tried and failed at and has been adapting since then. I mean, Age of Empires Online has come a long way if you haven't tried that recently. That's no, a great. And, and that's a great thing to look at to see, okay, this could be, like, where the next step is going. You know, this could be the next development in RTSs. Um, they didn't do it too well, and now they're sort of doing it better. Maybe End of Nations will take that a little further. But as far as just the cre- creatively reworking how RTSs play, yeah, Rob, I think we'll absolutely see something like that. Don't know when, and I don't know what it is, but uh, I, I think there are people out there trying to come up with something, sure. Yeah, I think we'll see something. I think we see something every year. We just generally don't recognize it half the time until it's either in our face or maybe a couple of months later. Sometimes it's something that's just huge, like AI war, or I mean, I don't know what it's going to be this year, but or uh, the the uh, League League of no League of Legends. Uh, What's uh, uh, the Riot Games thing? Is it League of Legends? Yeah, League of Legends. Oh, LOL. Right, of course. Uh, Like that. I think that was like a recent, uh, just crazy revolution in RTSs. uh, How popular that is. Um, So yeah, absolutely. I I still think that the the genre is thriving creatively, uh, and who knows what'll come up next. Yeah, whether we'll see something that hopefully we won't see as many, and we'll see the dead ends. We'll see games like this rise and fall hopefully i mean I, something like you know something like ruse <laughs> which i think has and the ruse games the games that came out of uh, that studio have so many great things going on i'd love to see other studios pick up on them and run with them um or see them get more money and run with the idea but you know it's, well you know even even war game european escalation yes, which we did a yeah, show on like that yeah. that that's every bit, you know, how yeah. that expresses the the historical that that historical time yeah. period in in RTS language. Sure. That's awesome. That's like it's, the awesome a, creativity that, that Kohan brought to the table. I think. Yeah, that's a brilliant game. I don't think it got nearly the respect it deserved, and whether it actually gets whether it actually moves to whether it actually moves the genre forward or in an interesting direction, I don't know. The great thing now is that there are so many avenues for games to get out there. There's a larger audience, I think, but the audience is so fractured, uh, which I think might hurt some titles, um, that I don't think we hear about as many games as we used to. Probably more games, but a smaller percentage of them, because there are so many out there. My email is full generally every week. I get, hey, have you seen this? It's a title I haven't even heard of yet. And then I take a look, and it's usually something kind of stupid-looking, so I don't even bother forwarding it. Uh, But, you know... Ten years ago, I probably would have heard of it to begin with, because uh, there's so many things are being made. But yeah, there are there are, there are revolutions going on constantly. Some of them in studios, some of them with four men or women uh, in an office, and some of them with you know one person making a single-player RTS for iPad. Um, there are revolutions constantly, and hopefully there'll be something as magical is Kohan happening. Um, it's, it's, I've got a really warm place in my heart for that game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I, that about does it for our topic. And, I, you know, if we accomplish nothing else, uh, I think if you were inspired to go and pick up the Kohan games and try them out and uh, discovering discover what makes them so special, uh, then the show's been a rousing success. You can buy um, the three-pack on Steam for nineteen ninety nine. Oh, you should pay more than that. You should throw in an extra five bucks, like as as a tip. Oh man, a tipping system would be awesome. 
but sadly. Give the tip to me. Yes, for telling you about Kohan. You thanks, go. Troy. All right, so th- that does it for our show, and uh, thanks so much, you guys, for joining me for this discussion. Uh, I was came into the show feeling a little under the weather, and uh, man, my mood has improved like tenfold. Just uh, I love talking about great games with great people, so uh, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. Out of curiosity, Rob, what possessed you to do a Kohan show? Where did this come from? A LAN party. Ah. I found it. It happened. I found it at a LAN party, so and we we fired it up and. Uh, it was we, we went from Unreal Tournament to uh, Kohan, and uh, they're both fantastic experiences. Wait, so, 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 so you went to a land turn tournament in two thousand one? No, 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 a land party last a couple weeks ago. In two thousand one, where's your time machine? Because that's pretty freaking awesome. Uh, did anybody? Did there have to be any arm twisting to get into Kohan? Um. No, not really, because, uh, I mean, the thing the thing about a LAN party, right, is you're looking for stuff that's going to be quick to install if you want to try something new. Uh, we, we had a few games on hand, but primarily, well, no, I guess it, kind of the thing you talked about, Tom, where it's like, it's this different era where, like, LAN was kind of the expectation, and it's, it's really easy to get it set up and running. And so, I mean, the whole afternoon was just, like, you know, uh, Ghost Recon, um, Unreal Tournament, and uh, then Kohan, and everybody was pretty willing to, you know, to give it a shot, and then I think... Uh, you know, having the AI just go after us so viciously uh, put us all on our on our back foot. And, you know, I mean, that's that's when co-op gaming is at its best, right? Is when everyone's back is against the wall and uh, you're just, like, struggling to survive. And so, you know, oh, you we guys, lost so the you entire guys, afternoon. So you were doing comp stomps. Like, you guys were teaming up playing against the AI rather than playing against each other. Yeah, because you, you had three people who had never played the game before. Ah, uh, so that's, to start yeah, off yeah. with, to start off with, we were, uh, we were playing against the AI. Uh, uh, was it easy for them to pick up? Like, were these? I well, you had never played Kohan before. Was it fairly simple for new players like you? Uh, you know, I mean, I I, I still think the early game is major challenge. I you know mm-hmm. I've played a lot more games since then, and I still feel like I'm completely trash for the first you know 15 minutes of a match or something like that. <laughs> uh, somebody else though, just I mean, just got up and running and booming. Uh, you know, really really early on, uh, basically had like half the map to himself. Uh, and was bankrolling the entire war effort. He's basically playing the part of America, I guess, in, in our in our little comp stop World War Two. Uh, and so you were I, you were Italy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I came into the, I came into the late game uh, with some top rate units, and so I kind of arrived with like the small elite force. Uh, just started, you know, kicking ass because I had so u- few units that I carried through the whole match. That you know, for the late game, my guys were showing up, and they were all elites. And uh, in Kohan, you know, if you can if you can get a unit to survive to like reach elite status, um, you know, they that that is a huge advantage in combat. Right. And actually, it actually I think again, you feel great because you feel totally rewarded for being a good general. Uh, and so your crack troops show up and uh, just start dismantling enemy formations. It, it was wonderful, and uh, it was so different that I was like, I, you know, I got to talk about this with you guys. You know, one thing that actually makes Kohan particularly well-suited for that kind of situation, and this is something I wish more RTSs would do, but they don't do it anymore, uh, is it allows variable speeds. Like, when you start off, you can slow it down and give everyone a chance to sort of look over things and click on their cities and figure stuff out. And then as the game goes on, you can speed it up if you want to. Or when a big battle joins and somebody maybe feels overwhelmed, you can slow it down. Yeah. Like, I love that in a multiplayer RTS, and it's it's just so rare. Well, that you've kind got of control to... over the pace. Since with Solar Empire has that? Yeah, yeah. Does, yep. does it, it works in multiplayer, right? So you kind of like, the lowest person setting is the game space? Yep, yep, yeah. And uh, Naval War does that as well. So, I mean, it's it, I, I think any anything, like, you see it used for a lot of, like, large-scale RTS games, I think, where they, where they kind of recognize, like, you need you need that ability to, um, you know, because there's so much, like, the, the, the matches are so huge, uh, the, the scale gets so large that it takes a while to build up resources, so yeah, you do you do have you, there's recognition for the need for that, but you're right. There are a lot of RTSs that just don't really offer that option. The, the, the pacing is the pacing. Well, and even aesthetically, like you mentioned, Sins of a Solar Empire. That's brilliant because that's exactly in Sins of a Solar Empire. 
one of the coolest things to do, even if you're really good at the game, is during a big battle, just slow it down and watch the awesome stuff happening. And Kohan is the same way. Because all that tactical stuff the AI is controlling, a big battle, just slow it down, watch the spellcasters, watch the, the front lines of infantry fighting each other, the archers. There's just so much stuff going on down there that you can appreciate. Just slow the game down and sort of groove on this really cool tactical battle scene where you don't have to be clicking on things and making them do stuff. Uh, I love that. All right. All right. So that does it for our Kohan show. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, and don't forget to that. Uh, if you want to comment on the podcast, we have a forum, which has been recently revamped over on the Idle Thumbs, and it will be linked in the podcast description on Flash of Steel. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I will definitely have been kind of you know, at loose ends last couple weeks, kind of on vacation. This is where this is where I actually came across Kohan. Was at a land party on vacation, uh, so vacation totally rocked. Um, but yeah, so I'll be spending more time in those forums and uh, love to you know love to get the discussion going on uh, Kohan and maybe hear more from you know fans of the game who've sort of you know kept the uh, kept the fire alive these these last years. Um. And, oh yeah, and of course, we owe a thank you to our producer, Michael Hermes, for cutting this together and uh, dealing with Tom's obnoxious cat. He's no. not obnoxious, he's just, he's just attention-starved. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about pets and their masters? <laughs> <laughs> they look like each other? That, that must be it. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Tom. It's been great having you back, and uh, come back soon. Thanks for having me, yeah. All right, say goodnight, everybody. Good night, all. Good night. <laughs>